All right, we're in part two of our interview with uh, Dr. Ken Logan and, and Carolyn Liu, who are Jesus-following therapists. And uh, I encourage you to start with part one, and uh, you'll get the introductions and, and better context for our conversation. But that was a really enlightening conversation for me personally, uh, as someone who grapples with emotion and tries to follow Jesus and be wholehearted and all those things we talked about. For this uh, part two, we want to dive more into these conversations are connected to our series in New Hope, uh, The Emotions of God, where we're exploring the seven primary emotions of God as we see in Scripture. And uh, we started at New Hope, aligning with David's book um, around, I don't think the term would be negative emotions. Maybe you can give me a better term for it because I, they're, they're emotions. They're big. True, big emotions. Big emotions. <laughs> or maybe the emotions that might trouble us to think of God having them because the way we express them are pretty broken. But we start with the the more problematic ones, whatever phrase works for you, uh, of, of, of hatred. And, you know, we started there and then anger. And I think there's a lot of corollaries between those two and then sadness and jealousy, and then the series just ramps up from there. Then we get into joy and <laughs> compassion. <laughs> so, and on a good note. That's, that's right. Yeah. You got to end on a good note. And we end with love where if, if you guys could remind me, I'd love, I'd love to talk about this because I'll, I'll forget, but you know, God is love, right? That's a primary emotion. And it's interesting how all these other emotions seem to be correlated to God's love in some way. I'm, I'm just teasing mm-hmm. that out. Anyway, um, so let's start with... Um, and again, if you haven't listened to the first part, we are arguing that we learn how to be emotional by seeing how God properly exhibits these emotions. We don't want you to be less of any of these things because we can all carry forth these emotions in a healthy, God-honoring way that can help ourselves to flourish and those around us to flourish. Even the ones we haven't seen good examples of, <laughs> mm-hmm. we can see that, that it's necessary to be healthy, I think, that we would we would argue. So... Um, Let's talk about, uh, you know, if you're reading the book, I highly encourage you to read the book. You may disagree with some of it and like some of it not, but I think that you'll learn a ton. But David starts with the hatred of God, and then he goes into the anger of God. And if you're doubting, you're a listener that hasn't heard any of our messages or haven't read David's book, and you're like, God doesn't do any of those things, I I would beg to differ. And I would just say, just read the book. It's endless examples of the, God, of the Greek and Hebrew words being used for God who expresses these emotions. Uh, but uh, David, the corollary that, that I gather from both of them and kind of how we taught them out, not to simplify it, because they are different emotions, um, but the corollary is their connection to love and the reality, I believe, I think the three of us believe that we live in a world uh, that is broken, uh, that has sin, that has evil, we define that using a Cornelius Planticus definition that uh, sin is shalom breaking or not the way things are supposed to be. Uh, and so I think that we would, most of us listening, probably agree with that. If not, this probably won't be helpful, to be honest, because will, those will probably feel like inappropriate emotions if you have, with all due respect, what seems to be a Pollyannish view of the world. Um, but I think, that, I think that the world is full of sin and full of evil. And those are other discussions why that is. We don't have time for that discussion today. Um, But if we grant that, then uh, Lamb would argue, and I think I would agree in the writer of scripture, that uh, it is appropriate to see a God of love express both hate and anger Mm -hmm. towards uh, those things. So that's kind of the general argument in the book. I affirm it. I think that it's true. doesn't mean that... uh, it leaves our hearts settled. <laughs> you know, it may leave your heart unsettled. <clears throat> and, you know, as, as Lamb talked about at the beginning of his book, that we struggle with an emotional God because we see emotions typically as irrational and uncontrollable mm-hmm. and confusing. And I think there's, a, there's truth to all of those things. They can be, but they aren't necessarily those things. Emotions can be very rational. And I think you need emotions to be rational. They can be under control. I think God shows us that, and I would say, yes, they are confusing. <laughs> so, so I think that, that, you know, in a world that we want everything to be black and white and, and its little box and stuff like that, we get in this terrain and we're going to get into complexity. So if you're looking for a conversation that has no nuance and is really simple and clean, this is not your conversation. So I'd love to hear from both of you. Um, I'm sure that you've pondered these things, and in preparation for this interview, knowing that we were going to talk about these things, you're followers of Jesus, you you, you you look to God to guide your life and to properly exhibit the emotions. We clearly have in Scripture a God 
who hates. We clearly have in Scripture a God who is angry. Jesus, you know, is... As, uh, as my friend Brian Zahn says, what does God look like? God looks like Jesus. <laughs> That's helpful. Mm-hmm. Um, so we see Jesus is, is the very essence of God. We see Jesus hating things, and we see Jesus being angry. What do we do with that? And then, so I'd love to hear that first. Let's, let's have you answer that first, and then I want to transition to talking about, okay, as we carry uh, our own hatred and anger, which is ever more prevalent in the world, how do we exhibit it in a way that's healthy and causes ourselves to be more human and flourishing and those around us to flourish? Woo, that'll be a hard oh, question. Wow. That's so. good. All right, so let's start with how do you feel about a God who hates and is angry? You want to go first? Okay. I think when you ask that question, I realize that I have not seen very many models in my life of people hating and being angry in a way that I think at all looks like what how God handles it. Mm-hmm. And so because I have such a limited model or motif in my mind, then I come to God and it's pretty hard to get what exactly that looks like. So I alluded to my kind of coming from a dysfunctional Christian family growing up. But my dad displayed anger, and it was only after he had stuffed and stuffed and stuffed and stuffed things, and then mm. he exploded. And there was a ton of anger. Mm. I don't I don't think hate as much, but just anger. And so as a child, that was probably the only anger that I saw displayed. And so I think part of this conversation is how can we acknowledge other healthy, I mean, are there, I guess, other healthy models of people hating something or displaying anger in a way that is more consistent with God and getting some of those images in our mind to replace those that are tainted when they're just displayed by sinful mankind? Mm. Well, I mean, I mean, a classic I go to is hatred of the Philadelphia Eagles. And, um, you know, as a Cowboys <laughs> fan, I think that that's... that's- it's, well I mean, understood. Solid. Thank you. I just uh-huh. no. I I just that's a very serious question. I, I I just meant to bring a little levity to it. But um, yeah, I'd like to hear. I mean, in in when we talked through this, I went to the civil rights movement. You know, um, if if you heard that sermon, and and um, I think that would be in in my experience, followers of Jesus, pastors, one experience. And but I think that's I think that is that is the issue for people in this. I think you nailed it, and that people are like okay. I th- I understand what you're saying in my mind. I see it in the Bible. I have no context for that. (laughs) What is that in the, what in the world does that look like to hate something and to be angry and have it being rooted in love? Mm -hmm. So save the day, Ken. Much less. How how do I then manage that when it's my own hate and anger? Yeah. Yeah. Well, and it goes back to that myth, right? That, you know, positive emotions are of God, negative emotions are not of God. And this kind of confronts that issue. And I think it's great we're talking about it. I I always contextualize it in a formative mode. So it's like, we talk about anger and experience of anger. We talk about hate and the experience of hate. But what is that meaning for you in terms of growth and maturation and being conformed to the image of Christ? It always comes back to that for me. So to me, it's an issue of degree and, and quality. So for example, hate and anger that is contrasting versus one that's directional. So a contrasting hate or a contrasting anger would say, I'm feeling this way. See, I'm hating this. Um, like, uh, you know, in, in the Old Testament, God says, I'm, I love Jacob and I hate Esau. <laughs> that's actually a statement. And it's like, really, that's harsh, you know, that because of how we're interpreting what that means. But if you think about it in terms of a contrasting um, perspective, he's not talking about the hatred of Esau as much as he's talking about how he longs and desires to have a different kind of connection with Esau. So it's speaking to what he's wanting, not about just complaining about what's wrong. I see this in couples counseling all the time. I don't know if you see this, Carolyn, where they come in and they literally hate each other. And the quality of their conversation that you hear is constant complaint about what the other person is doing wrong and how they're an innocent victim and they're right and the other person's evil. And what they what they complain about is all the stuff that's wrong and you never hear about the stuff that they appreciate or about the stuff that they like. Or, and you also definitely don't, you never hear about what it is that they want. They talk about what they don't want. They don't talk about what they want. And literally what happens in therapy is, 
is can I get this couple to a point to where they can become um, contrasting as opposed to directional, where I just hate him or I just hate her, instead of, okay, but I know what you hate, I know what you don't want, but what do you want? And most people in that stance, they cannot come up with an answer for you. They're so focused in on what they don't like and what they don't want. See, that's the difference between, I think, God's hate and anger versus perhaps where we go with it. God is longing for something different. That's why he hates it. It's Jesus dealing, hating the Pharisees. He was longing for them to come to the end of themselves so that he could have relationship with them. It wasn't to the exclusion of the relational potential. There was no hope for relational potential if he didn't maintain that sense of, I do not like this. This is not right. I'm, I'm angry about this or I hate this. Um, I think that's the difference. The, the healing and the, um, the formative parts of this, I think, for me, I think deal also with understanding where, where these higher levels of hate come from, where these higher levels of anger come from. And some of us, just being born on this planet, dealing with depravity and the effects on us, we feel these types of feelings, specifically hate and anger, very loudly. Um, I call them justice warriors. <laughs> mm-hmm. They're justice-oriented. Uh, this is right and that's wrong, and they're kind of oriented that way. My youngest son has this, and he's had it since he was an infant. This is something he was born with. And I'll tell you, he's the biggest advocate. I keep telling him he needs to be a police officer because, my gosh, he'd be a, talking about serve and protect. That's what he is all about. Ask him to be merciful and gracious. <laughs> he struggles with that, right? Um, it, it, it's We have these temperaments that we're born with that are kind of oriented towards justice or oriented towards anger at being a natural kind of response. Other kids' temperaments are orienting more towards fear reactions. That's the slow to warm temperament we hear about in the Thomas and Chess research. Um, of course, we all want the easy kids who are you know, easily soothed and they don't have these strong emotional reactions. But some of us, and in terms of formative work, we were born with this stuff. It, it, this is before we even get to trauma or stress experiences and the effects of that or neglect. But just being born onto this planet, some of us have very strong, loud emotions that need to be sanctified. And so being able to sit down and think about being angry or being having a tendency towards hate towards others, that's a really important thing to become self-aware about and to work on sanding those rough edges down. Um, that's what being conformed to the image of Christ looks like for somebody who has real strong and real uh, powerful hate or anger reactions to things. Uh, just for, for those of you who may not have you know, read the book or heard, because this can be a destabilizing thing, just to come in and begin to hear that, that God hates. But, um, you know, we're arguing God hates because God loves, and uh, right. is essentially um, that, that it is actually, if the world is sinful and evil, the loving reaction is to, <laughs> to hate some of that. You know, the, 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 the opposite of hate uh, is, 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 or the opposite of love is indifference. So, you know, it's, it's, we don't want to be indifferent when we see mayhem happening. Right. And, and, and so, in, you know, we, we read this in New Hope that Sunday, but the Lord hates, uh, oh, there are six things the Lord hates, seven that are detestable to him, haughty eyes, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked schemes, feet that are quick to rush into evil, a false witness who pours out lies, and a person who stirs up conflict. And this is he's using a poetic device to show that this list isn't exhaustive. You know, mm-hmm. there's more. And in other places we see God hates pride and divorce and robbery and violence and bloodshed and evil and wickedness. And I think all good-hearted people would that agree. want to love would agree. <laughs> I think it would be appropriate in this context to say, so that's an appropriate way to hate. I think the corollary and the similarities between anger, also when we see anger in Jesus and and, you know, one of our pastors taught through the passage of Jesus healing the man with the shriveled hand. And mm-hmm. so when he saw uh, the, the apathy or the indifference of the religious leaders of his day to this man that, that they knew, they knew Jesus had the capacity, they had seen enough action, they knew he had the capacity to set that man right, but because of a, a minor stipulation of their own iterations of the law that they had added to the original law, they were going to prevent this man from, from being restored. Um, and, and so that made Jesus angry. <laughs> and so, again, I think that 
who wouldn't feel that way? Like who, who in the right world wouldn't see a person with a shriveled hand or a shriveled leg or a person that's you know unhoused or hungry? And we see the capacity to meet that need. And we see somebody in the name of religion and God saying no, being a barrier to that. God hates that. God's, Jesus is angry about that. So I think, I think we're arguing that that's appropriate. And yet back to Carolyn's point, Jeepers, we just don't, we don't see many followers of Jesus or people in our lives expressing. Um, I, let's 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 isolate it for for practical because I think I don't mm-hmm. want to cross pollinate these words too much. I think for the sake of most of our audience and the three of us, th- we live in a world that has misconstrued hate and all that for sure. But that's almost an, another topic. But let's talk about anger, right? Let's talk about it. We all get angry, you know. We all get angry, and so. A pastor, a Christian pastor is admitting that he yes. gets angry. Well, I think I, I did, you know, I did in the first podcast, not to reiterate everything I said that one, but I, I share with Tristan some of our counseling, Ken, and how I recently admitted to you that I realized I was struggling with resentment. And and we unpacked that. You gave me some really helpful tools, but that was a journey for me to be like, I think, like, I don't want to admit this, but, you know, and that word means to feel again and again and again. I think there's some things I wasn't letting go of. There's things I was angry about. And I wasn't giving myself the freedom. And, you know, we haven't met again since then, but thank you. And I think I felt more freedom in my heart to even begin to talk about it with people and to, to be able to like show light. And so if people are listening to this, the two of you, what's your experience? I mean, you're not like, I know you both pretty well. You're not like, you don't present as angry people, but of course you have anger. And we're arguing you should, right? How do we take this? And if it's not like anger that looks like Jesus, how do we get there? What do we do with that unhealthy anger? Maybe you have a better term for that. And how do we best carry forth lovingly and kindly anger that is maybe the popular term is righteous anger, which the danger is everybody thinks their anger is righteous <laughs> anger, right? And maybe you can help us with, maybe that's a more clean question. How do we, what are some tools you can help us determine if our anger is righteous or not? <laughs> and what to do with it in a way that doesn't eat us alive? Yeah. Something like that. Yeah, well, I notice most people want to, I mean, there are people on the continuum that really enjoy expressing their anger, and likely they've gotten into a behavioral pattern where that's been reinforcing in some way, or that's been modeled for them, so they really do enjoy expressing their anger. Most people, uh, I feel like more people, I should say, actually feel very uncomfortable feeling angry. And I I would agree with that, that I feel very uncomfortable. I want that. It's just a feeling that rages through your body and you can feel different systems in your body light up. Not that I know which systems they are on the inside and you just don't want to feel that way. I hate the feeling of being angry. It just is really distressing. And so because of that distress, I want to get rid of that feeling as quickly as possible. And some people have created a behavioral pattern where they do get rid of it right away by maybe taking an inappropriate action, maybe acting out physically or, you know, lighting up uh, some social media uh, outlet or whatever it may be in their case. But how do I sit with my anger and sit with it? I think you referred to this earlier, Ken, about sitting with God in that anger and being like, my body is writhing with anger. And I'm thinking all sorts of mean, awful thoughts, maybe even towards certain people, maybe even people in my family. What do I do with this? And just being able to sit there for a while with God would be my first recommendation. And just can I get in the practice? And I'm not saying that's going to cause a miracle reaction that for some reason, if I do that, then five minutes later, I'm going to feel wonderful. It may be a pattern that I have to engage in where I regularly take care of my anger in the presence of God and probably one that I'm going to have to do repeatedly. So I think another myth about anger is that you kind of deal with it. And if you're healthy, it goes away and then it's done. And you've put it in a box and you're good to go because you're a good Christian. My experience has been that it comes back time and time again, especially if it has to do with something that was really unjust or really wounding that happened, particularly to me. It seems like I tend to get more angry about those things that have a personal effect than Mm -hmm. things out in the world. But the expectation that anger will come back again, and that's an opportunity to then sit with God and ultimately share with others as well. Some people tend to run right away, oh, I have to share it in some way. But 
getting in the practice of sitting with that emotion with God for me is a really important first step and just allowing myself to feel it and express. And you talked about in one of your sermons, writing an imprecatory prayer. Mm. And I thought, oh, that's an interesting idea because I think... I've been fearful, like, it seems so wrong to write, like, <laughs> God, strike down this person that I hate so much, or whatever. That that feels a lot to put it in writing, uh, a true imprecatory kind of prayer, but I, I think the idea was a good one. I wrote one and read it to our church. Like, I think everybody was really uncomfortable. It's like, people who perpetuate sexual trafficking, I, I wrote one out and just read it to them. I think it was talking about flea-bitten beds, and may they, you know, it was it was pretty. But, it's good. It was really good. I, was, I think... Um, I was thinking after you read that imprecatory psalm, what if I did that? Because my woundings have usually come from other people. And so what if, what would it look like to write an imprecatory psalm um, about somebody that you're feeling strong feelings of hate or anger about? That, mm. That's an interesting idea. Well, I think, uh, again, to, uh, I want to hear what you say, Kim, but just to kind of isolate practical steps, what I hear you saying, Carolyn, is one, just acknowledge it. Again, we're talking about that a lot, just owning it and learning to to call it what it is. And maybe we have to do that in community because a lot of us have blind spots and we don't want to admit we're angry. I mean, I don't know how long I've been carrying resentment, but probably some people in my life could have told me that, you know, if I would have asked them. And so finding out a way to kind of reflect and like, I'm angry right now, or we'll, we'll talk about sadness in a second. You know, I'm feeling this way without shame. Just like it's obviously our body knows it already. Our body's way ahead of us. What's that famous book, the body keeps score or whatever, right? It's right. Our body knows that God's designed us that way. So using our emotions as a barometer saying, and then sitting with us, sit, I love that term sitting with Jesus with it. God's right there with us as a friend. God knows it before our bodies. God knows all things and that God's compassion and kind in that and wants to journey with us through that to not necessarily get rid of it, but transform mm-hmm. it in a way um, that can lead towards flourishing and not unhealthy mechanisms in our body and our life and our family systems and our culture. Is that kind of what I hear yeah, you Yeah, I think that's a good mm-hmm. first step. Okay. I think there's good, a lot of other steps. Good but, first yeah. step. So, Ken, yeah. what, what can you add to that? Well, I just want to... And, you know, I really appreciate you saying that, sharing that, Caroline, because the, um, there's this notion in trauma treatment called habituation. And what happens with habituation is, like, for example, I'll have a client come back that I used to do trauma treatment with. I haven't seen him for a couple years, and they're doing a check-in. And they'll say, I'll say, so, so what is it like now when you experience that trigger? And it's basically a trigger for to have a certain emotional reaction. They'll say, you know what? I still It still happens to me but it doesn't punch me in the stomach to the same degree that it did when I first started seeing you. And something else about it, I have flashbacks of what happened to me, but I also have memories of talking with you about it when I was in therapy because they've habituated a new experience to that emotional state. And I think the same thing happens in other emotional states, including anger, that back to the whole myth idea of the goal is is to get it get it to stop as soon as possible and what we're saying is is no you need to sit with it until you're bored because that will make you integrate it and i don't mean like sit with it and kind of distract yourself or you know watch tv or something but literally sit and i like the idea of journaling uh prayer journaling conversing with people who can be supportive with you as you process through your feeling about what's going on, something that's community-based and that helps you integrate. Um, I picked my wife up at work one time. This is back when we first got married, and she was telling me the story about what happened to her at work, and she was very angry and very frustrated. And as she was telling the story, it was dawning on me. In my mind, I was thinking, her boss was totally right, (laughs) and she was totally wrong. It's How wise real, were you in that I, I wasn't very wise, Carolyn. <laughs> I, I've, I've become wiser as I've gotten older and, and we've been married longer. But my first response was, is that, honey, he was right. <laughs> how could you, you know, how could you think that you're right? And she, sa- and she said the most profound thing, God, does God ever talk through your spouses? Just like, like a puppet. They don't even know where that it's happening. Um, she says, I already know I'm wrong. That's not the point. The point is I need somebody on my side right now. She was looking for someone to help her kind of digest this experience that she had so that she could move to a place of reconciliation and work through the issue. 
anything that perpetuates that, especially in response to anger, is really important. I think where most Christians go when they feel angry is they feel either that they're doing something wrong and they try to shut it down as fast as possible, or they buy into it totally and they marginalize the individuals that they're frustrated or angry with. Um, they, they polarize. It's to say, if you disagree, this gets back to hate. If you disagree with me, that means you're evil. And we start to split. And that's a sign that we're, we're thinking the person we're dealing with is the devil, as opposed to the person we're dealing with is also another human being like me who's making bad choices and maybe doing wrong things. But my anger is meant to help me set limits and to say no and to address things in a way that can increase the odds of people coming to the end of themselves. And that's the that's what I said earlier about how would Jesus feel about this? How would God feel this anger? He would feel it in such a way to provide the other person an opportunity to address their crap and to address them themselves, as opposed to, I don't want to feel angry because I feel uncomfortable with anger, so I'm going to enable this person. Or I'm feeling angry, that means this person's evil and I need to kill them, right? Something in the middle where something constructive happens. So I think us sitting with anger and even hate and getting to the point to where we can become constructive, that's formative. That's, that's, that means you're starting to smell like Jesus, right? How do we, you know, we, we are, we've, we're kicking around this quote in this series by Anne Lamott, if you know her work, but <laughs> something to the effect of you know you have a really inadequate view of God if your God hates all the same people you do, you know? Kind of idea. Yeah. So that's another point we're making in the series based off Tozer's famous quote that what we think about God is the most important thing about us. You know, we have to be really, really careful how we form our image of God. I think especially true in this series on emotions that, again, we ascribe our experience of other people's traumatizing, abusive anger, if you will, or our own inability to deal with our own anger. We put it on to God. We don't have proper context. So we're trying to flip it around and say, God's showing us what to be angry about, what to hate, and it's got to be rooted in love. And, and, and how to be angry. And how to be yeah, angry. How to be angry. Mm-hmm. And we're, you know, love, that's a whole other topic. We're using Aquinas' definition of to will the good of the other. Mm-hmm. And so how is our, you know, hate and our anger, how do we be assured that it's rooted in willing the good of the other. I think that's a, do you have helpful evaluative mm-hmm. tools? You know, I I quoted the end of Psalm 139, and right before that is an imprecatory section that's unsettling, but then David <laughs> kind of settles himself and says, search me, God, and know my heart. Mm-hmm. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. That's this idea again we're kicking around in the series love the sinner, hate my sin. You know, mm. let's start by reflecting mm-hmm. on what's going on in me and how to, you know, if we're serious about being apprentices of Jesus, we need to be angry. Anger is a, a proper emotion for humans to have because God has it. So we're not telling you not to be angry, but how do we help uh, evaluate our anger, for lack of a better term? Because again, we, I think I'm I can be self-righteous all the time. And I like to think that what I'm angry about, of course, is righteous anger. That, you know, they should have done this or this or this. Or I couldn't believe you admitted that you get angry at your your family, Carolyn. That's embarrassing. Um, (laughs) I mean, right? It happens in the family context all the time. I mean, I was talking with with Seth today at lunch about that, that, you know, the, 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 the kind of terrible irony that we're kind of our worst selves with the people who love us the most sometimes. And so... Um, how do we use that community? How do we use evaluative tools to, we're never going to be able to totally know, right. but to give it the best shot of like, I've evaluated and I think this is, this is good. Um, I don't know. Do you have any helpful Yeah, I think tidbits? after sitting with it and God is kind of like what Ken said, a form of journaling, like what, answering the question, what is my anger about? And then spending enough time that you get, is I, am I angry because you touched a really sore spot inside of me that has to do with my self-esteem or has to do with my competence or how loving I am? Or am I angry because there was an injustice? And um, 12-step programs or Celebrate Recovery AA have a great uh, pattern where you uh, do a fearless moral inventory. And I love that that title and also the practice of writing out, what is it that I am feeling this about in every way? And it's not just about anger in um, an AA program. It's 
uh, all of the wrongs that have been committed against you and that you've committed against others. But oftentimes in anger, it's because somebody has wronged you or wronged others, and that makes you angry. And you should be angry about that. So then having that written out, you have a chance then, similarly again in AA, the process then is you share that with another person. And that wisdom, that person could be a therapist, but it could just be a trustworthy person. And hopefully you have somebody like that in your life that you are truly honest with, not just eat some cookies at a church gathering with or shoot the breeze with or talk about sports, but you actually choose to go deep with. And um, a lot of times people don't have that in Christian community. And so uh, this is kind of a rabbit trail, but I (laughs) I would say... How you, how you have that is you be the person. So you put your toe in. You don't share your whole history with somebody else, but you share something kind of vulnerable. You share, hey, I've been struggling with anger, and I think this is what it is. I was so angry when my father-in-law did this because it made this happen, or I felt this way. And then you kind of evaluate, can that person tolerate your anger? Can that person have this conversation with you? Because a lot of times we have to be the creators of the safe Christian community. It's not, it doesn't always exist out there. It'd be great if we could just wander into any little church and what do you know, there's a wonderful little safe community, but you're likely are going to have to go out and kind of create it slash find it. So finding some people you can kind of try out just a piece of who you are authentically are and see if that uh, is received and acknowledged by the other person, maybe reciprocated on some level, and then continue that journey of sharing authentically, be it anger, be it sadness, whatever emotion you're dealing with, having somebody that you're running by. These are all the reasons. And I'm not looking for a solution from you, kind of like your wife didn't want a solution for her anger. I just need a person that can listen through what I'm angry about and just hear me out. And that helps narrow down that list. Are there any on there that I need to take action on? Can often come out of me just giving you the list, reading the list to you. Yeah. I You asked earlier for like examples of what this might look like and what popped into my mind and my pastoral experience. Um, and I'm sure you have way more experience in this, both of you, than me, but uh, parents particular, maybe siblings that watch someone in their family uh, wrestle with drug addiction, you know, and and the complexity of anger slash hate in that towards the drug, towards a world that would peddle that kind of drug, towards the things that person has been through that caused them to take that, towards sometimes the person for making Mm -hmm. those choices. You know, I think there's a... There's, I'm sure there's inappropriate ways to express that for sure. Um, but I think there's a lot of appropriateness that is rooted in love. I mean, I've sat with so many parents just in tears seeing their child stripped of their humanity and becoming less human because of this drug and just their lives being destroyed and they're angry. And, they're, and I think that's appropriate. Again, coming back to that, there's an appropriateness. The scriptures say, be angry and do not sin. So that tells us there's a pathway to carry forth our anger. And you've both given us a lot of really good uh, practical ways to do that. I, I, would, I would also add the, the slow to anger motif. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, it says God is slow to anger, which in, in the Hebrew, that means he's long-nosed. The, this, the, the Hebrew, the ancient Near East has had this thing with noses. So if you were short-tempered, you were short-nosed, but God was long-nosed, you know? God was uh, slow to anger, which is in, it's from Exodus, one of the essential passages explaining who God is and who's God in. I'm thankful for that. Um, on the other side of that, God is compassionate and has hesed towards us uh, and, and great love that's patient. But we're also told in the New Testament to be slow to anger, right? So like, what, is, you know, what does it look like then where we're carrying our anger to, you know, all the things that you said, I would just add to it also. How do we like, sometimes we got to like, if, if, if the rashness, I think it's, it's very, it's a very rare instance where righteous anger leads us to rash behavior. Maybe there might be exceptions to that, but I think it's always wise. You know, my wife and I, have, as we've been in therapy, our therapists have taught us the timeout mechanism. <laughs> you know, sometimes things are just ramping up and it's not going to be pretty. Anything said, you know, we talk about anything said like after 930 is probably not going to be helpful to the relationship. <laughs> and I'm the one that struggles with that. You know, she, she's really disciplined. I'm still following around because I want to like get to the end of it. And she's <laughs> like, I told you timeout, timeout, you know. And so I think... um I think 
properly sitting with it. And I think for folks that are wired like me that don't like it, you said that, Carolyn, thank you for that. We just don't like it. I don't want to sit in this. I want to be rid of it. I think sometimes that's part of the process is Mm -hmm. to sit in a loving community, evaluate it, put it in proper context, ask really good questions, pray through it, journal through it, dig deep, go back to those things again and again. Do it in community, which I think you're right. It has to be baby steps if people don't have that because it's frightening. Mm-hmm. It is frightening. And there are unsafe people out there. There are mm-hmm. totally unsafe. And that's probably, <laughs> so you don't want to share everything with probably most people's experience. Yeah. That's the problem. We, we're, we're talking about things. It might This might sound Pollyannish to people. I used that word earlier. They were like, great. I'm glad that you have really healthy, safe people you can, you can share with. And so I think that's a missional opportunity for the church. We, we should be that kind of place. We should be building those kind of disciples that can carry forth that. One, before we go to sadness, uh, just one like final question. This is a huge topic, but I want, you, you'll have to be succinct for sake of time. How that was, do that you, was for me. That was for me. <laughs> how, do we, how would you coach people um, uh, on responding to anger? So someone's coming to them with anger. And I don't, we probably don't have time to differentiate whether it's righteous or unrighteous. They're just, right? We live in an angry world, whether it's on social media, in our families, in our workplaces, in our churches, sadly. It's going to be sued if people haven't experienced it recently that you're going to be confronted on the roadways. I mean, we see that it's just ridiculous out there. This anger. How do you, how do you as a follower of Jesus coach us to wisely maybe come in, would diffuse be the right term? I don't know what it is, but can you have some practical advice for people that maybe they're living with an angry person right now? What's a way, you know, I don't think I have to say it, but if you're being abused or it's a traumatic situation, get help, you know, call 911. I think that's what I always tell people. Mm -hmm. But if it's just like, no, this is just an angry person and I don't know what to do. How do I help? What would you say? I know that's a huge topic. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Um, succinct. <laughs> um, well, I think I think if you're really being influenced by that, you are going to need community support. Um, giving yourself permission not to try to address that on your own, I think, is important. Um, the, the issue with anger and reactions to anger, I think, have a lot to do with not wanting to do things that either enable it or validate the misperception that they have of you. In other words, if I'm angry at somebody and then they do something back that validates my perception of them, it's going to perpetuate the problem. So again, back to that formative idea, John, I think the us gauging our responses to people's anger is an important part of addressing, are we more fearful than we should be? So there's there's work to do there. Or are we more likely to get angry back? And you know, escalate things or, you know, both of those, you know, how would God do this, I think is another good question to ask. Um, I think where I see a lot of Christians going in terms of some more simplistic formative stuff is that we feel like we have to become a victim. Turning the cheek or giving a tunic or walking longer with somebody than they asked you to walk with them is almost used inappropriately as a form of victimization or enabling victimization, and it's not. Turning the cheek is basically saying, you can slap me as much as you want, it's not gonna change my perspective on this, that this needs to be addressed. And so I think a lot of, a lot of what you're gonna need support in if you're confronting someone being angry with you is literally developing the capacity to have more courage and to have support around you to address issues in a way that can that can have a response that increases the odds of the person actually being able to deal with themselves. So I think where a lot of Christians go is they just don't deal with it. They just take it and take it and take it and take it. And then like you'd mentioned about your, your dad, <laughs> you know, an explosion Explode. goes yeah. off perhaps or, or whatever else. But mm-hmm. that's, that's the issue. I think we struggle a lot with justice in the church because we tend to think that enabling and not addressing things is the godly way to go. When really what we're doing is we're just enabling people to stay in their sin. Um, I'm loving my husband the way that I'm supposed to, although he drinks all the time or he's had multiple affairs. Um, That issue needs to be addressed and that person needs to be supported to address that issue. Um, And some people do get into positions of, of danger if they do address it. And that's why I think the community support is really important. Yeah, I mean, it's rude. I hear you saying it's rooted in love. You know, to to allow them to perpetuate something that is not healthy for them. Right. That's not willing their good. And and so 
I also hear you saying it's complex, that it can be mm-hmm. fraught with danger, and we need to be really, really careful. careful. So I, I hear you saying that, and that we have to just keep repeating that. So I think we're more talking within the, the veneer of like, you know, non-abusive anger, just kind of just mm-hmm. stuff that's just kind of, you know, small a anger for, for lack of it, right? <laughs> mm-hmm. But like, but can be also really, really damaging to family systems and to cultures and that just is perpetuated. And yeah, I mean, I really appreciate that. I think that is a misnomer. It is a very uh, narrow definition of love. Just let people do what they want. And, and we don't address it. I, I think that that's not love. I really, I resonate with that. And it's really hard because you mm-hmm. don't, sometimes you just don't want to rock the boat. You don't need more drama. You don't, you just don't want to. But I think the loving thing, it, it all, you know, we've all, we're all in the midst of raising kids, right? I think the parenting analogy could come in there, you know, to mm-hmm. see our children doing something we know is not good for them. To talk to them about it is going to be eye rolls at a minimum. At a maximum, it's going to be, you know, alienation and we're stupid and a broken relationship for a while. And we don't want to deal with that. No human does. But the greater danger is letting them perpetuate ways of behaving that could have huge consequences on their life. And I think that's, you know, when we see that anger in one another, I think that's part of a healthy community and a benefit of community that like, hey, you know, I've had this with people like, hey, can I talk to you about something? I love you, man, and I've noticed this about you. Um, and and you know, I, I still remember back to my this is a, another emotion, but I remember back to when I was a youth pastor and going through a really stressful time and overwhelmed. I had this little sophomore girl come up, and it was a big youth ministry. I don't even remember her name. I don't even think she knew me well. And she's like, "Hi," and I'm like, "Hey," and she's like, "Can I tell you something?" I'm like, "Sure." She's like, "You don't laugh very much." <laughs> I was like, what? Who are you? What's your name again? You little brat. You know, that would have been an unhealthy response. Right. But it, to be honest, like I'm, I still remember it 25 years later because I was like, she's right. That's not me. Why, why, why am I not laughing? You know, I think that's just, just an example of like a, if we're listening and watching to people who love us and we believe they love us. Um, and yeah, you're, you're two of them in my life, right? If either of you said something to me, I'd listen, you know, and odds are you'd be right. And, I, and we got to have those people in our life. And for those of you who don't have those people, um, I grieve with you for one. Um, but I think there's hope. And we're trying our best in our in our ways of life to, as you said, Carolyn, create those communities and be part of the solution to that. Did you have Can anything I say, you yeah, want? I was yeah. going to say one more thing, because yep. I think we kind of ended up on big A anger, like those really important key relationships that we're in or our families. And we do need to address those. But a lot of times in the world, you mentioned like, you know, the way people are driving. And I'm thinking of like people posting on social media and whatever. And I think an important axiom would just be that anybody can have their own emotion. And I can be okay with you having your problem with rage and anger, and I don't necessarily have to respond to that. So this is for little a anger situations, not those deep relationships where you really do need to address it. But I think too often I see Christians responding to other people's outbursts with an equal outburst, especially on social media, that Mm -hmm. is just completely uncalled for. Let's, uh, we got to have a succinct conversation on sadness, so, which will be hard, but, um, I think it, um, I think what you'll have to say is worthy as well. So, um, we experience, uh, increasing amounts of sadness, it seems, you know, whatever, whatever survey we want to look at, what, whatever, we just see article after article, we've heard words like sadness epidemic and things like that, especially among, uh, young folks, mm-hmm. Um, I'm sure you, you know that way better than me and can't talk about it. But, uh, you know, that's uh, seems like all my therapist friends are really, really busy. Um, and 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 so it, it's a complex topic in that, um, you know, there is sadness that all of us humans have uh, mm-hmm. that God has, as we as David talks about in his chapter and and we'll preach about in the series that's appropriate sadness. Um, you know, I think of the. The, the, the scene from End of Lord of the Rings, as Carolyn knows, everything comes back to Lord of the Rings. Um, but, you know, at the end of the battles, you know, and Samwise is knocked out and he thinks Gandalf's dead and he wakes up and uh, he said, he said, will all the sadness come untrue? You know, and, and kind of ask that question. And that's Tolkien's way of saying, yeah, that's the hope of the gospel. So, yeah, I mean, but I think that there's there's hope for sadness. And that's as followers of Jesus, we carry that forth. And we sit in just everyday we're using this this 
this uh, technique, let's say small s sadness, you know, like it's just, <laughs> it's just like, I'm, you know, COVID made me sad or I'm sad because like my kid's going off to school or like, you know, I think there's just very, in a broken world where not all is right, you know, that's how I define laments. You know, the Psalms are, some would say 70% laments, mm-hmm. which is incredible that that's our prayer book. That's how we're to pray. It also gives me great encouragement that God knows we need to pray out our sadness. And so mm-hmm. um, so I define lament as agreeing with God that things are not right. So again, there's an appropriate sadness as followers of Jesus who see and have a foretaste of kingdom come and things are not there. I'm not there. <laughs> They're not there. They will be. And I'm sad about that. And that's that's holy in a way and really helpful. And then there's like a, a big ass sadness that gets into mental illness terrain mm-hmm. And has to do with brain chemistry and has to do with trauma and abuse that's very, very serious. And so I always struggle as a pastor, whatever I <laughs> preach on these things. You do a great job. I, I, I try. I, it's, it's just really, really difficult. And, you know, I mentioned this book by by Alan Noble. And uh, he, he kind of, I think he artfully and with integrity telling his own story kind of says, he thinks we, we bifurcate too much there. And he kind of says, there's just a general complexity of sadness and angst that every human experiences. And he's very quick to say, yes, there are some on the far edges that you need treatment programs and you need medication. Yes, yes, yes. And followers of Jesus have been horrible at that. So I want to make sure that people are not not hearing me say that. But I, I resonated with it. As a human, there's a complexity of sadness and depression that I experience. It could be seasonal. It could be circumstantial. It could be brain chemistry for a season that doesn't necessitate drugs or maybe treatment. I think therapy for everybody's good. Um, like, How do we get into that and carry that forth as followers of Jesus with courage, without shame? With, there's just so much there. And I wish we could talk for hours about it, but we just don't have that time. So talk to us about how to carry forth our sadness in a way that reflects how Jesus did, you know, when he approached Jerusalem and wept. And when he, you know, I'm thinking about, I'm actually preaching this message a week from Sunday, so I'm thinking about our public reading of scripture just being Jesus wept. <laughs> this is the word of the Lord. <laughs> yeah. That'll give you more time to preach. That's right. Yeah. Yes. Because yeah. I think it's so powerful, just those two words, Jesus wept. It's okay to be sad. And I, I preached a sermon, I'll shut up after this illustration, but I preached a sermon years ago where I made this, I had the team make a, a goofy smiley face. And I said, here's the kind of communities we're building where you walk in here today and we had a big church and, and you know, there's probably thousands of people that Sunday. And some of you are just going through living hell. And someone walked up to you and I said, how's it going? You said, good. And I held the face up to my face, the smiley face. Why is that? You know, how, how come we can't be a place that grieves properly? You know, that the mm-hmm. Ecclesiastes says that there's a time for sadness and tears and there's a time for joy. Mm-hmm. So speak to me yeah. succinctly from the heart, brilliantly about sadness. Succinctly and brilliantly. Okay. I can do one or the other, but not both. Um, well, I think, I think you got to the point there, John, where you talked about grief. The normalization of grief is still a big issue in the church. I'm, I'm, we're getting better at it. We really are. But I, I, hear, I still hear this 30 years later after starting this is people will go in and they'll practice transparency and they'll get the worst response that they could have imagined from the person who is trying to help them. And I think it's not from a person trying to be mean. It's more from a person who feels overwhelmed by the other person's emotion and they don't know what to do. They don't know what to say. So I think a lot of it has to do with how do we... How do we become trauma-informed? How do we become grief-informed to know what people need and that we can then feel confident about providing it for them if they bring it into community? Um, The normalization of grief, I think, for the community is important. Also, the normalization with grief within ourselves is important, too, on the whether you've got um, a biological depression going on or you've just got a temporary situation happening, you both both of those conditions respond well to people being generally supportive. Um, the other thing I would say about it is that, again, it goes back to the issue of normalizing emotions for us because when people come in and they say they want help for, say, a loss of a loved one, for example, they're grieving the loss of a loved one, what they're really saying implicitly is, can you make it? 
can you help me go back to the way it was before this happened? There's still that tendency to want to avoid it and make it all feel better in the moment. And you, you have to say to them, I can't help you go back to the way that it was before, but I can help you move forward and integrate this into your life and have you live a functional, meaningful experience after this. So um, some sadness is transitory and it's adjustment-oriented sorts of things that go on and it kind of resolves pretty quickly. Some of it, man, uh, working with parents, for example, who've lost a child, they never get over it. You just don't. But you you can learn to live in a functional, meaningful way. And over time, the punch in the stomach, you know, subsides. But that that notion of can you make the feeling go away, that's the part we've got to deal with. We've got to get comfortable sitting in our states. Mm-hmm. And we're when you ask for help, many times what people are asking for help for is to make the feeling go away. And you can't make that happen. So normalization of the feeling. Or the helper really wants the feeling to go away like you alluded to at the beginning, that we feel uncomfortable with somebody else being in their state. So when somebody comes to me and they're having unchangeable anxiety that's going on forever and I start to feel their anxiety and I want to do anything I can very quickly to get them to stop. And so that's when I say really stupid things that are not (laughs) very helpful. And that happens when I see that you're grieving so much, I just want it to stop for you. And so I start to feel so uncomfortable that again, I say stupid things, or I see that you're so depressed. And so a lot of our unkind, unthoughtful responses really come from a place of caring. And they also come from a lack of comfortability with my own anxiety in the face of your pain. And so it's very hard for us to slow ourselves down and just say, thank you for sharing. Or thanks for telling me that. But one other thing I'd add to it just real quick, you guys, is the, um, and I'm not talking about like medication, biological depression, where you need meds to support your body kind of getting out of that state, or a a chronic mental health condition that has mood conditions as part of it. I don't mean those. But sometimes when we encounter uh, sorrow or loss or grief, the way we deal with ourselves with it exacerbates it and makes it worse. And so um, that's an important thing to come about, too. Sometimes we can create depressions because of our avoidance of emotion. And so normalizing it and facilitating people sitting with it, I'm always surprised by, you know, people say, how do you treat depression? I don't really treat depression. I treat avoidance. I treat, I help people look at and address and habituate to a new experience with their depression is what I do. That turns the volume down on it. Life gets a lot more reasonable. So there's some practical things around acceptance that I think are really important. And that goes with all emotions, especially though depression. Yeah. Well, let me let me kind of try to bring the conversation to close just by by here are things that I heard from your brilliance, both of you and uh, your experience. Um, <laughs> can you tell my wife that? I, I, I will can give her I her will. phone number. If I, you want you, to call. We can do that after. Yeah. Um, and, and, and thankfully, these corresponded to the conversation with Tristan earlier as well. And is uh, one not being kind of scared of emotion and, and owning it and talking about it and acknowledging it because it's there. Right, we're kind of fooling mm-hmm. ourselves. It's hidden in our body. Um, when we stuff it down, it's creating really bad things for us. So I think learning whether you grew up in church, whether or not, maybe you're in a very emotionally expressive family, and very healthy. I hope you are. But wherever you come from, that's good uh, to do that. That there's a pathway to carry these things forward in a uh, wholesome, redemptive, God honoring, one another honoring, self honoring way. I think that's another thing. We need the Holy Spirit for that. And we need community. We can't do that alone. We have to we have to find other people that are safe and caring and hopefully Christ-like uh, that can help reflect and challenge and help us bear our burdens. The scriptures say that a lot. You know, there's so many one another verses in scripture. And I hope we're building that at New Hope. If you're a New Hope, you're, we, we invite you to help us build that. We need to be communities. I think that's a good, a gr- incredible missional opportunity uh, that that we we carry that that forth, and then you know, I think we were kind of talking in and through this and around this uh, the whole time. Uh, but we have a God who is emotional, shows us how to be emotional, is with us in our emotions. I heard somebody the other day say that's one of the primary motifs of all of Scripture from mm-hmm. beginning to end that God is with us, mm-hmm. and that God is not with us in a 
distant, robotic Scandinavian, all due respect to our Scandinavians who are properly emotional out there, <laughs> stoic way that is not God. Uh, that God has evidenced in Jesus is fully, wholly emotional. And even in this last little bit of the sadness, I mean, it's interesting that Jesus in Isaiah 53 is referred to as a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. Mm-hmm. How beautiful is that? And that Jesus goes to the cross and carries our anger and carries our sorrow, all of it that is tainted by sin and brokenness and crushes it and emerges to allow us to follow him, be filled with the spirit and carry these emotions in a healthy way uh, for the good of all and the flourishing mm-hmm. of all. I mean, that's that's beautiful. There's a, a little book uh, called Lament for a Son. Uh, I give it out uh, at funerals. I give it out to people who have lost people. It's written by uh, Nicholas uh, Wolterstorff. He's a brilliant Yale philosopher, uh, follower of Jesus. And uh, he wrote, he spent most of his life writing on, on God and suffering, which is a huge topic. And uh, he said uh, it was all theoretical to his son, I think at age 22, died in a rock climbing accident. And he said it just threw him, it wrecked him. And uh, he said he just went in a deep, deep grief and journaled. And the book is essentially his journal. And uh, there's this really incredible point that he comes to. It's He's a brilliant philosopher, beautiful writer. It's moving. But he comes to this point where he's like, I don't think God ever gives us an answer to this side of heaven to our suffering and sorrow. But what I realized and what allowed me to come out the other side is that our God enters it with us and walks with us. That's the psalm, right? That God walks with us through the valley of the shadow of death. Mm-hmm. It's not to say there's not answers and there's not good stuff written about that, but that is God's with us. God's with us in all of these emotions. God shows us how to exhibit them. And as we follow Jesus, we show one another how to exhibit and how to carry them properly. Uh, so yeah, don't do it alone if you're out there. Own it. It's okay that you feel this way. Go to therapy. That would be my, like, I think everybody needs to go to therapy. And, and I think really, like I've, I, some of my goals for these podcasts are to de-stigmatize uh, therapy. And you listen mm-hmm. to three therapists, if you've listened to this, at all who love Jesus and all uh, gave us brilliant insights and uh, made us laugh and made us think. And, uh, and that's just a taste of what you'll get when you invite someone into your journey. I love spiritual direction. Do spiritual direction. I do both because I'm such a mess. So you got you to gotta have all of it. Um, but tend to your emotions and, 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 uh, and get more emotional, but in a proper way. So that's our hope. So thanks to both of you. Um, if you wouldn't mind, um, one or one of you uh, could close us. And um, maybe since Carolyn's part of our church, uh, Ken, you could pray over New Hope. Uh, you're part of the Church of Portland. So, But um, <laughs> just pray for our church as we go through the series, as we wrestle with these things. This, this is fraught terrain, right? Mm-hmm. And, and it shakes people up. And we don't want to unsettle people unnecessarily. We want to f- become apprentices of Jesus that are fully and appropriately emotional. So there's a lot there. So however the Spirit leads you to pray, if you could just close our time with prayer. Sure. Thanks. Father, we lift up. I, I lift up new hope to you right now as a, as a body of believers here in the Portland area. Um, the pastoral staff, folks who attend their administration, uh, I just lift the church up to you as well as other churches they're affiliated with around town. And I ask that you'll just be with each person and that you'll be utilizing these messages and maybe even this podcast as a way to facilitate not only them coping better, but literally turning this process into something that forms them and conforms them to your image. I pray for each person in the body that you would prepare their hearts and ready them to hear you. Um, And I pray that, you know, Holy Spirit, you would speak into the to everybody who's part of that congregation, that they would hear your leading and your calling and your directing of them, uh, places that they they could go in terms of their emotional well being. And Father, we just want to thank you that that we have this and that we can actually have this conversation where maybe fifty years ago this would not have been allowed, mm-hmm. and we are just grateful for that. Lord, I pray that uh, that the, the body there at New Hope would blend the concepts of formation and spiritual maturity and to begin to really grab a hold of the fact that emotional maturation and emotional growth is a key component to real spiritual formation and spiritual growth. So many of us got to have our orthodoxy all figured out. We've got to, we've got the beliefs down, but we need the orthopraxic stuff. We need the 
we, we need to live this out in an embodied way. And for folks who need your healing, I pray that you'd be there for them. For folks who need your guidance and direction and, and growth, I pray that you'd provide that for them as well, that they would integrate their emotional well-being into their spiritual uh, seeking that's going on. And I pray that uh, you'll be with John as he leads this group and that you'll continue to use him the way that you are. And we pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Thanks, Ken and Carolyn. Really grateful for your time. And if you're listening and want to go to our website, check out uh, the sermon series, uh, newhopepdx.org, The Emotions of God. Grab David's book uh, on that topic or or Tristan's book uh, that we mentioned earlier, uh, Why Emotions Matter. Um, Encourage you to dig deeper and we'd love to see you on a Sunday. If you don't have a Jesus following community you're part of, we'd love to welcome you. Uh, Our services are 9 and 11. Hope you enjoyed this. Uh, Take care.